Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the great privilege that you've given us, Lord, to come and to worship in your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, minds to understand tonight as your word goes forth. Lord, I pray that you would help me to decrease so that you may increase, become less so that you can become more. Thank you, Lord, so much for this great topic of discipleship. And thank you, Father, for the command that you've given us in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. Let us obey that command. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So last week we began our discussion of discipleship by simply asking, what is a disciple? You remember that? The answer to that question was simple. It was that a disciple is not just one who follows Christ, but one who is united to Christ in a relationship. We moved on from that very uh, basic question to kind of the opposite. What is not a disciple of Christ? And we walked through a, a number of marks that would disqualify people from being a true disciple of Christ. We then talked about why we should become a disciple and how. Why? Because he alone is God. And he alone deserves your allegiance and he alone deserves you to follow him. Why? Because of his great promises that are fulfilled in Christ. And because of the great love with which he loved us. How? How do we become disciples of Christ? Repent. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ alone for your salvation, place your faith in him, take up your cross, give your life to Christ and live for him. Tonight, we are going to ask the question and hopefully answer the question, what is discipling or what does it mean to disciple? Uh, I would like you to think for a moment as we begin about God. Think about God's characteristics. What is God like? This is usually called the attributes of God. God's attributes are divided into two. There are his communicable attributes, and then there are his incommunicable attributes. The communicable attributes are those attributes that we share with God, such as love, mercy, forgiveness, etc. The incommunicable attributes are those that we do not share with God. That would be the omnis, the omnipresent, the omnipotent, the omniscient. Does that make sense? The communicable attributes, again, are love, mercy, and so on. But one of the the incommunicable attributes, one of the attributes that we don't share with God is his immutability. His immutability. Immutability meaning that God does not change. The Bible says in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. We change. We are always changing. We are born. We grow. We age, and then we die. That's a constant pattern of change. We, we learn in our lives. We forget in our lives. This, too, is also change. Some of us are becoming more godly. This, too, is change. We are, are constantly changing, but God does not change. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you had better thank God that he does not change. If he did change, then there is nothing that you can trust when it comes to God. God does not change. According to the Bible, we are under constant pressure from the world around us to do what? To change. First Peter wrote to the church during a terrible time of persecution from the emperor Nero. The world was, in a sense, 
pressing in on the church through persecution, through trials, and through pressure to change. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, or you have been pressed in upon you. The world around them was pressing in on them. There was constant pressure, and the church was not giving into that pressure. 1 Peter 4.4 4 says, They are surprised, the world around them, that, they do, that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Why? Because you're refusing to change. You're refusing to conform. Paul said in Romans 12.2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. We are in a world, listen, that is not, we, we live in a world in which we, we don't, it's not spiritually neutral. There is much going on in the world. There are powers and principalities that are going on in the world that are attempting to draw you away from Christ. And Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17 that God would keep them. They were not of this world, just as Christ was not of this world. And yet he was sending them into the world, just as Christ was sent into the world. And they needed guidance. They needed help. You and I are in the same place. The world is spiritually against us. We are being challenged by the world to change. But we, like the disciples and like Christ, are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And we are constantly being bombarded with the influence of this world to do what? To change. The world is constantly trying to influence you to follow their pattern. And you see this in almost every aspect of the world, whether it be through media, whether it be at work, no matter where it may be, the world is constantly trying to put pressure on you to change. But in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of that darkness that we lived in as well, there came light. The gospel. Through We, through some instrument of God, heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We heard of God's holiness. We heard of our sinfulness. We heard of the perfect obedience of Christ to the Father's perfect law. We heard of his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection. And he called us by name to come and to follow him. If you've heard that, and if you believe that, and you've repented of your faith and trusted in Christ, then you are a disciple of Christ. Discipleship is our own following Christ. And one of the most basic parts of the truthfulness of discipleship is this, making disciples. Meaning this, if we are to follow Christ, we must also make disciples of Christ. If we are to follow Christ... We must also be making disciples of Christ. If we are following Christ, it is our command, or it is the command of Christ to us, to help others follow Christ. I don't know what it means when someone says, I am a Christian, but I am not making disciples. There is no distinction. And Jesus did not see a distinction either. Because there is no distinction. If you are a a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, then you are also at the same time, a disciple maker of Christ. Amen. Amen. So tonight, we're going to answer, or hopefully, ask four questions and hopefully answer those four questions. Number one, what does it mean to disciple? Or what is, number one, what is discipling? What is discipling? Taking notes, number one, what is discipling? First of all, we see a biblical pattern of discipling in Scripture. And where do we see it first and foremost? 
we first and foremost see the pattern of discipling in the family. The institution of family that God has instituted in this world. Isn't it amazing that we spend so much time, so much effort, rearing and raising just one individual? They live in your house. You feed them. They, you go, they go with you everywhere that you go. You raise them up and you mature them so that they can mature and hopefully leave you and one day become a mature man or woman. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Let's turn there actually. Deuteronomy 6 4 and we'll get to Colossians. This is known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen, you shall teach them diligently to who? Your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you lie down and when you rise. This is for your family. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be like frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of God should be so saturating your home. It should be at the front of your mind. It should be at the hand of everything that you do. The word of God should be filling your home, and you as parents are the ones who are discipling your children to know God. The family is one of the most basic groups of people that we actively disciple on a daily basis. And some of us don't even realize that we're actually discipling them. We think that we're raising them. But we're actually discipling them. We think that we're babysitting. But we're actually discipling them. Think about this. They say words that you say. They act in ways that you act. They have these attitudes and you wonder, where did you get that from? And then you go and look in the mirror and you realize it's from you. There are so many words now that my wife and I say in play amongst each other that our son says now. And they appear to be appropriate when we say them to one another. And then all of a sudden when they come out of our little boy's mouth, they're not so nice. One of the first places that we begin our discipleship is in our homes. We must also realize that it's not just amongst parents to children. It's also husbands to wives. Husbands, you are to disciple your wives in such a way that you are to present her spotless and clean before God. Men, that is your responsibility. Women, it is your responsibility to come under that leadership and trust that God will lead that man to disciple you in such a way that you will be presented before God spotless and clean. We also see examples of discipleship in the Bible, such as Moses and Joshua, Elijah, or Eli and Samuel, Elijah and Elisha. But probably the most obvious that we see is Jesus Christ and his disciples. For a large part of the ministry of Jesus, he dealt with the crowds. But for a very specific part of the life of Jesus, he poured his life into 12 specific men. 12 men that he called by name. They confessed Jesus as their Messiah. They followed him everywhere that he went. And then among the 12, there were even three more specific men that Jesus poured even more intimately into. Peter, James, and John. He poured especially his life into those people. Paul is another person who is a disciple maker, and we see him specifically with one particular man that he wrote two letters to. His name is Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, Paul wants to take Timothy to travel with him on a missionary journey. And he was doing to Timothy what he would later tell Timothy to do to others, teach, shepherd, disciple. And I believe that Paul gave a great summary 
to a summary statement as to what discipling really is. We find that in the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, listen, mature in Christ. Teaching so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. What prevents Paul from sounding arrogant in this particular passage? It's that Paul is saying all the things that I'm doing, I'm doing because God is powerfully working on the inside of me to teach so that I can present. Listen, spiritual power is found in the midst of self-giving sacrifice, self-giving service to others. This is labor. It's agony. And labor and agony apparently are the way to spiritual power. We knew, we know The power of Christ when we work for Christ in serving others. We know the power of Christ when we work for Christ in serving others. All that we have and all that we do, it comes from God. This is great because when we know that all that we do, all that we have comes from God, it counters any fear in us. Because God is doing the work. It counters any pride that may rise up inside of us. Because it is God who is doing the work. It is God who is doing the work. So if we are certain of God's work in us, then we lay aside any fears of uncertainty. Any fears of pride. True Christianity. Paul is laboring. True Christianity is not lazy faith. It is faith that works. And it works for what? For others. Why is Paul laboring? To proclaim and to present. The reason that Paul wanted to proclaim the word of God was so that he could one day present those whom he was ministering to as what? Mature in Christ before God. Why do we here preach the way we do? So that you can grow up, be mature in God. Why do we have the race and women of the word and all of the other areas that we preach so that you can mature and grow and that we can present you As mature before God. Suffering and preaching for the purpose of others. Look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding. Of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. Which is Christ. In whom all, um, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul was struggling, struggling for them. And he had a great desire to come and see them face to face. Why? So that yes, he could preach to them, but so that he could also encourage them. That he might be a source of encouragement to those people. And listen, through that encouragement, they might be united together in love. Encouragement. Encouragement is not just putting your arm around someone and saying it's going to be okay. That's a good idea. But the idea here is this. It is in courage. It is putting courage in them. Putting uh, heart inside of them to continue to walk with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 2. That they may have the full riches and complete understanding to know so well the truth that they would be able to distinguish it from a lie. 
This is what Paul is laboring for. He wants to go to them and put some courage inside of them. He wants to help them understand so that they could be able to know right from wrong. Paul was taking up his cross. His life was a life of suffering in obedience to God for the good of others. What is discipling? Suffering in obedience to God for the good of others. He wanted to present people mature. Colossians, he was concerned for for person after person. This was the activity that Paul was involved in. He was involved in discipling. This is what got Paul in prison. He could have stayed out of jail if he would have just kept his mouth quiet. But he refused to do so. He loved and delighted in giving. Not because his joy was found in the people. But because his joy was found in Christ's love. And delight in his people. And it was this kind of love of Christ that was powerfully working in Paul so that he could work for others. Does that make sense? This is the biblical model of what we see in scripture of what is discipling. It is contributing to people's lives spiritually. It is because God is working powerfully in us that we as Christians give our lives to others just as Christ gave his life for his church. That is what discipling is. Well, let's go to a definition of discipling then. Let's make it even even more clear. Here's a question number two. What is discipling? Jesus said, what does it mean to disciple? Jesus said to make disciples. Of who? Who are we making disciples of? Of Christ. We're not making disciples of ourselves. We are giving ourselves to others, building them up so that they can follow Christ. Jesus was constantly teaching his disciples. He was pointing them to the kingdom of God. That all things ultimately were for the glory of God. For the expansion of the kingdom and for the final day when Christ would take his people home. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 31, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that all of the birds of the air come and make its nest in its branches. This is the pattern of discipleship. You begin with one and then you begin to expand and it grows and it matures. And then other people can feed off of that mature person. The kingdom of heaven is like, again, a mustard seed. And Jesus taught his disciples to disciple in view of eternity. This is how we were called to live. We are to live each day in light of the final day. We are to live each day in light of, in view of, the final day. This may seem weird for people that that are living around you. People that you may work with. People that you know personally. Because all they see is this world. And they make no provision for the world to come. Jesus is leading us to prioritize things that the world will not understand. Jesus leads us to prioritize things that the world will not understand. He commands us to, to teach all that, the, that he has commanded, which directs us to where? The word of God. And if we're teaching all that he has commanded, then those whom we are teaching must also go to the word of God. So he is telling us that there is a source for all that he has taught. There is a source that we must go to to understand all that he has commanded, and it is the word of God. Jesus said, teach them to obey. That means that we are to live not only reading in such a way that we are finding out what he has commanded, but we are also living in such a way that shows we are commanding, or we are obeying what he has commanded. So following Christ 
should affect our lives. Following Christ should transform our lives. The way that people will know that we are disciples of Christ is by the way that we live, the way that we love. Christ is our example that we should follow. Love is to characterize the relationships that we have. So here is a basic definition for discipleship, another one. Discipleship is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone else so that they will be more like Christ. Discipleship is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone else so that they will be more like Christ. One more time. Discipleship is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone else so that they will be more like Christ. Paul understood that this would mean helping others to obtain salvation, evangelism, sharing the gospel. Discipleship is teaching at its core, teaching the Bible. But it's not just words. It is obedience to what he has commanded. Again, we show how, we show with how we live our lives the significance of the words that God has taught. We show by the way that we live our lives the significance of what God has taught. Teach the facts and teach people how to live. Teach them a way of life. Discipling is, is not passive. It often means picking one person over another. You obviously can't disciple every single person. So there are some, there are going to be people that you have to pick to say, I'm going to choose you to disciple. These are, are people that you can spend more time with, but you've got to take the initiative. And not just, uh, taking the initiative, but you must also be willing to say, I need to be discipled. Amen? We need to be active enough to say, I will take the initiative, and we need to be humble enough to say, I need to be discipled. But you, we, must take the first step. First step in saying, I will go and make disciples, and also, I need someone to help me know what it is to be like Christ. Discipleship is inviting people to imitate your life. Let me just say that again very slowly. And take that word in or take that sentence in. Discipling is inviting others to imitate your life. Allowing people into the fold of your life so that they could see how you live. How many of us are willing to do that? This is a a basic aspect of being an elder. Hebrews says, follow your leaders, follow your elders, emulate their example. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. How many of us are willing to say something like that? You should. And sometimes in that process that there's a student and there's a teacher. And sometimes we will not really realize who's the student and who's the teacher. There have been many times that I have been walking with people and they've taught me maybe more than than I'm teaching them. But we are both called to admonish one another and to teach one another. Colossians 3.16. Listen to what Paul prays over the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discern with knowledge and all discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God he is praying that over those whom he is discipling paul was doing spiritual good to others how by praying for them look around i said this the other day Are you praying for the people in this church? Are you praying for them by name? Are you asking God to mature them? Are you asking God to work on their hearts and on their minds to grow? Brothers and sisters, you can't do that if you're not here. 
You can't do that effectively if you're not present in the local church. For it is when you are present in the local church that you have the type of relationships and the type of intimacy with one another that you can actually know one another. What's going on in each other's lives? One of the things that I love about going to the race is that when we are there, I love hearing what some of the people are going through. I love hearing what some of the, the people are, are reading. And one of the ways that I recognize uh, leaders um, in the race is by watching who's actually paying attention. It's interesting how when one person is done with their kind of talk, sometimes they kind of go into their own little shell and now it's just about me. But the person who is actively listening to what every single person is going through is saying to themselves in their own minds, now I know how I can pray for that person. Or now I know how I can reach that person. Now I know what that person is going through and maybe I can ask them on a more personal level, how can I pray with you? Or maybe let's go out to lunch and just have a talk. But the person who is more into themselves, that person is not mature. And they're probably not ready to even start in the process of making disciples. Discipleship cannot be done without risk. When you're discipling people, sometimes it involves you saying no to them or you're wrong or giving them warnings or bearing with someone. You know that where you bear with someone that they have pushed you sometimes to the limit and you continue to bear with them. And it's not just doing so once. It's doing so over and over and over again. Showing the ropes to one another. It's leading and helping to take responsibility, never from that person, but for that person. Does that make sense? You're showing them the ropes and you're willing to take responsibility, not for them or from them, but for them. Amen. Not from them, but for them. You're rejoicing with them. You're bearing burdens with them. And this should be a norm, a normal thing in the local church. Discipling is often counseling. It's getting advice and getting knowledge. It's sharing wisdom about how to get from point A to point B. This is the benefit of being a part of the local church. Being a member of the local church. And sometimes we are like the patient farmer. Because we often don't see fruit right away. But in due time, the Lord continues to water and grow and help that individual mature. And friends, one of the only ways that I can impact the future beyond my life is through evangelism. By taking people younger than me or by taking people just in this world, in this room and others that will outlive me so that they may, when I am gone, put into practice some of the principles that they've learned as they've walked with me in understanding what it means to be a Christian. I may leave this world, but how the Lord has used me to impact others will hopefully continue. This means intense involvement. This means being intensely involved in people's lives. It means getting dirty with them. I said to our, our members, are we uh, disinfecting or are we getting dirty? Sometimes people don't want to touch one another. They don't want to get messy. But that's what God has called us all to do as the local church, to be involved in one another's lives. That not, we, not just so that we enjoy the good times, but we also walk through them with the bad times. Again, it is intense involvement and it is also humble open-handedness. It is intense involvement and it is also humble open-handedness. These people are raised up for Christ and trust, we trust that God will do with them whatever he wills to do with them. We don't disciple for our own self-satisfaction, but for God's glory and for their good. There's this quote that I want to read you from Charles Spurgeon. Listen to this. 
I am occupied in my small way as great Mr. Hart was employed in Bunyan's day. I do not compare myself with that great champion, but I am in the same line of business. I am engaged in personally conducting tours to heaven. And I have with me at the present time, dear old Father Honest. I am glad he is still alive and active. And there is Christiana, and there are her children. It is my business as best I can to kill dragons and to cut off giants' heads and to lead on the timid and and trembling. I am often afraid of losing some of the weaklings. I have the heartache for them, but by God's grace and your kind and generous help in looking after one another, I hope we shall all travel safely to the river's edge. Oh, how many... Have I had to part with there? I have stood on the brink and I have heard them singing in the midst of the stream. And I have almost seen the shining ones leading them up the hill and through the gates into the celestial city. Brothers and sisters, this is discipleship. And what he's speaking of here is Pilgrim's Progress. You should read that book. That there is one who disciples his own to the very end. And he fights for them. He fights with them until... Finally, it is their time to leave this world and they are taken to heaven. And that minister continues to preach the word of God. That is what you and I are called to do in making disciples. We are by nature followers. We are by nature disciples. We are either disciples of Adam or we are disciples of Christ. We are disciples of Satan or we are disciples of God. If you are a Christian, then you are a disciple of Christ. And in a second sense, you're a disciple or follower of somebody else. And the question I would ask you is, who are you a disciple of? Who's pouring into your life? Who's helping to shape you as a believer? One of the things that we hate to do is to say anybody is helping to lead us or that we are following anybody. Because we do live in this individualistic culture where it's just about me and I don't need anybody. No, you do need somebody. We all need somebody. Are there people right now that you are deliberately praying for in your life? Are there people right now that you are deliberately asking God to work in their lives? And are you actively involved in helping that process along? There are some objections to discipling. Here are some of them. The person that is discipling me is not the person that I want to be discipling me. I wish I could have so-and-so. Let me also say to you that the person that's probably discipling you also wish that they could have somebody else. We are all imperfect people. The more humble you are, the more surprised that you may be at someone else's wisdom. Sometimes we look at age and say, well, they're too young to teach me anything. Or we look at, at, at age and say, they're too old to teach me anything. They're out of touch. Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, I'm not equipped enough, which we'll get to in just a moment. We must be humble that whoever God brings into our life, let God use them. And let us be humble enough to learn from them. Another, another uh, uh, objection is, will this undermine other authorities? So if a woman is being discipled by another woman... Is she going to ultimately start listening to that older woman or that other woman rather than her husband? If that woman who is discipling her is doing a good job, she will teach that woman to be submissive to her husband. Rather than saying, well, Antonio or, or Mary says that I should do it this way. No, Mary should be teaching you to follow and submit to your husband. 
just as uh, myself, who is involved in helping to disciple some of the men here, that you should be actively, I should be actively involved in helping you to be more serving in, in your family, more serving in your church, and that I ultimately am not your final authority. The word of God will be your final authority. Someone may say, well, this seems prideful, that we are teaching others to follow us. Someone who is doing a good job at making disciples is not teaching someone to follow them. They're teaching someone to follow Christ. Meaning that you are not going to have to like the things that I like and do the things that I do. You're not going to be a Warriors fan. You're not going to love Manny Pacquiao like me. And hopefully, in the process of discipling, that's not my goal anyways. My goal is to show you how to live for Christ in a way that glorifies God. This sounds imposing. It sounds too pushy. When we make disciples, it's always voluntary. I'm not going to walk up to you and say, you, take my hand. We're walking together. And you have no choice. The only person I did that for was Patrick. And he's thankful that it did. I did. Someone may say, uh, I don't need it or I'm too busy. Jesus set up the local church. And he calls us to live out our claims of love and obedience to him in the local church. And we are to do so regularly. Christianity is private. Or Christianity is personal, but it's not private. Christianity is personal. It is between you and Christ, but it is not private. Only between you and Christ. I need you, brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters, you need me. God is the only one who does not need us. God is the only one who does not need to be taught anything. I need you to teach me, and you need me to teach you. Someone may say, this is only for outgoing people. I don't know how to, to, to go out and, and do this kind of thing. Is this only for extroverts? No, this is for Christians. This is for people who call themselves believers in Christ. Not for the popular, not for the extrovert, not for the outgoing. It's for those who claim the name of Christ. And if you don't want this, if you don't desire this, then brothers and sisters, there is a big problem. There is a big problem. Well, you might say the reason why is not because of anything else, but I can't. I'm imperfect. You've just made this about you. It's not about how old you are, how young you are, how knowledgeable you are, or, or, or how knowledgeable you are not. It's about taking what you do know and helping someone to learn and walk with that. It's about building relationships. It's about slowly climbing into people's lives in very simple ways. And one of the first ways that you guys can begin to do that is by staying at least five minutes after church. Just sticking around and talking to people. Some of you run off as if you have really important places to go. It's the Lord's Day. The only place that you're going to go to is a restaurant. It's already packed. You have no place to go. Some of you wives, I know that you are frustrated by, you know, some of the, the, the delay. Enjoy it. Your husbands could be hanging out with sinful people, but instead they're hanging out with people here at church. There are other and worse places they could be. Amen? I'm not speaking to anybody specific. <laughs> we are here because of the early disciples. Do you realize that? We are here because the early disciples obeyed the command of Christ. It is because they obeyed the command of Christ that you and I are here tonight. If they do not obey, you and I are not here. So then, brothers and sisters, future gener generations depend on our obedience to this command to make disciples. I'm going to say that again. Future generations depend on our obedience to this command to make disciples. If we don't, 
the future of disciples is at risk. Now, God, obviously is sovereign, and he is in complete control of that. But you will not be a part of the blessing of being able to pass on to future generations the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that my father discipled me. He discipled me, and as I think back on discipling, and as I'm learning more about what discipleship is, I'm seeing that he discipled me in more ways than he even realized. That he raised me in more ways than he even realized. And I understand that right now I'm doing that in turn for my brother. I understand that in right now, I'm doing that in turn for my son, that I'm doing that in turn for my wife. And they were seeing an example, I pray, of a man, not, not who was perfect, but who was actively pursuing the call of Christ and growing and becoming more like Christ. Not a man who was perfect, but a man who was actively following Christ in spite of my failures. Brothers and sisters, I call you to obey the command of Christ. To make disciples. You may begin tonight by grabbing someone's number. You might want to start texting them. You might want to start saying, hey, I was reading something the other day and this was really encouraging to me. What do you think about it? And just begin the process of having biblical conversations with one another. Listen, when you ask someone how you're doing, one of the most basic things that people say is, I'm good. And yet you know that if that individual would actually sit down across the table from you and have a conversation, there would be a lot more coming out than everything's pretty good. So let us go and take the initiative, take that extra step and get involved in people's lives. I'm not talking about being people that are super nosy. I'm talking about being people that are super caring. And with that, we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. I pray that in the midst of all the information that was being brought forth tonight, that you are helping to make sense of all of the things that we discussed. I pray, God, that your people would glorify you by obeying this command to make disciples. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.